Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to the Motormouth Podcast with me, Tim Sylvie, and Tom OF1, who's standing in for Harry Benjamin while he's out on commentary duties. This is the place where we meet a figure from the world of motorsport and dive into their lives and careers, often uncovering truths you never knew existed. We've sat down with Formula One drivers, team principals, touring car stars, Le Mans and IndyCar winners, famous broadcasters, content creators and pioneers, all to make sure that you get behind the visor and hear from the world's biggest and most interesting names. If there's anyone with a story to tell, they usually tell it right here. Check us out at motormouth.club, download our app, check out our regular Motormouth kart race where you can race alongside the stars and support our partners at Movember and the Brain Tumor Charity. And don't forget, please subscribe to our show, leave a review, it really makes a difference. Find us on all the major podcast channels. In the meantime, sit back, relax, and enjoy the chat. Hello everyone, Tim Sylvie here, and alongside me is Tom McCluskey, or Tomo F1 as he's known in the trade. Now, Tom, today's guest hails from Austria. So after your 100% success rate last week with your French F1 knowledge, I'm ramping things up. Are you ready? I, I'm not ready, but, you know, I, I really am. Tim. Okay. I really am. So let's crack on. So number one, Nicky Lauda is the only local driver to have won in Austria. But can you tell me in which year he did it? Oh, what won the Austrian Grand Prix? Nicky Lauda. Hmm. That's hmm. a good question. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a pun on 1979. You're not far away. 1984, which was the year that he was on his way to his third world championship. That is a solid, solid effort. I'll give you half a point for that. Okay. Uh, it's one of the, I, I feel like 84 was in my head, but I didn't uh, whatever, say it. Whatever, and whatever. Uh, that's my, I'm, I'm, I'm just coming up with excuses now, Tim. Who is the only other Austrian <laughs> to win the world championship? Oh, it's, is it Joachim Rin? It is. Can you, yes! remember, do you know the date? 
uh, okay, eighty was Alan Jones, I think. I'm gonna say eighty. No, because he was a, a posthumous, wasn't he? Yeah, um, that's right. It was correct. Eighty-one, seventy. Oh, actually miles off there. Good work um, on the oh, bit, though. Um, there were actually several very solid Austrian racing drivers, even Helmut Marko, who actually won in 1971. He won the Le Mans 24 hours um, and raced wow. in Formula One for nine races. And I didn't know this. You know, he's got a funny eye. Yeah. You know what that was from? No. So he, when he was racing in F1, Emerson Fittipaldi was driving around in his Lotus, kicked up a little stone and it hit him in the head. Lost oh my, and really? It damaged his eye. And it went through, yeah, I guess those helmets back then yeah. didn't have their full cover. Did you know also a helmet never completed a season in F1? He I never know. did like a full season. Not nine um, F1 races total. And, and then I God. think he had the accident and that was the end of that. But then Absolute you've got... knowledge today. Alex Wurtz, Gerhard Berger, who we've had on the show, yep. Jochen Rindt, Nicky Lauder, of course. So some, some good racing heritage and, and it continues with our, our guest today. Now, I think it's about time I introduced him, don't you? I think that's a good time, Tim. So today we're joined by Ferdinand Habsburg. He won the Le Mans 24 hours, but started out in karts where he won both the Hungarian and Austrian championships before moving into single seaters in 2014 with Euro Formula Open and Formula Renault 2.0 Euro Cup. In 2017, he raced in the F3 European Championship, winning in Spa before coming oh so close to winning the Macau Grand Prix. More on that later. He hopped across to LMP2, GTs and DTM before an incredible win in the LMP2 category at the Le Mans 24. We're here to learn about his life career, news, thoughts and opinions. Ferdinand, a big fat welcome to the Motormouth podcast. How are you? Just before we get into that, bear with me for two minutes. I must tell you about our new sponsors of the show, and it's one that means a great deal to us all on a very personal level here at the Motormouth Podcast. In 2021, Dana, the founder of Motus One, passed away suddenly and without warning whilst visiting family in the States. Dana was one of my very best friends. The legacy he left with his family and his business is incredible, and I'm hugely humbled and proud to have his booming business as part of this show. Sponsors are vital for our survival and make sure we continue to bring you interviews with the biggest names in racing. So if you or your company needs event transportation, look no further than the team at Motus One. They have you covered anywhere in the world, from a single chauffeur-driven sedan to a fleet of luxury SUVs, Teslas, or motor coaches. Find your transportation solution with Motus One. They've got offices worldwide, including the Middle East, Europe, and Africa, and will support your transportation needs regardless of location. Motus One is committed to world-class service at the very best rates to ensure your event goes off without a hitch. Contact them at motusone.com. We'll put all their social links in the podcast description. A massive, massive thanks to Dana, his wife, Claudia, his kids, the rest of the Motus One team. Thank you for having faith in our show and joining us for season 12. Right, back to it. On with the show. I'm very well. Thanks so much for having me. Pleasure. It's good to get you on, buddy. Um, where, like, I always like to look at the backgrounds and think, oh, where are people? But your background's not giving very much away. Where, where are you joining us from today, Fernand? Um, a blurry space. In, <laughs> um, I am um, in Vienna. I live here. And um, I clearly can see that Vienna has not got the best internet connection, but I hope it'll, it'll do for you're this. You're fine. Uh, you're coming through loud and clear. Uh, that's good. That's good. Um, so, yeah, I live in Vienna. I grew up in Salzburg. And I uh, lived in London for four years, actually, when I graduated high school and uh, when I was racing for Carlin. And now I'm uh, back back home in Vienna. Very nice. Now, um, one thing that Tom and I wanted to address 
before we get into things, is your name. Uh, it's quite long. Now, this is according to Wikipedia, and Wikipedia says all sorts of weird and wonderful <laughs> things. I'm not even going to try and uh, pronounce your entire name, but one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, eleven and a half, twelve, twelve names. Can you give us your full glorious name? Um... I mean, yeah, I we, ha we had to cut it down quite a bit because there was not enough space on the car, unfortunately. <laughs> um, especially now that I shared with two other guys, they were getting upset with my uh, space. Um, but yeah, so in, in my family tradition, we have uh, an old, uh, long-lasting tradition that we have a lot of middle names um, because they are the names of saints and those saints are supposed to protect us. So uh, I have like a lot of family members and in each, every single family member has the middle name Maria, every no, male or female. So mm -hmm. one of my middle names is Maria. Then um, obviously my family was very, very wide and, and big across uh, Europe uh, and also Central America. So like we, some of them derived from like the Saint Zvonimir, who is like a creation saint, um, who is my second name. And then there's like, uh, Otto, Maria, Baitus, Keith, Antal, Barnum, Leonhard, Otto, Michael. Like, I think I've repeated myself a couple of times. Insane. But uh, Keith, a bunch Keith, of them. And they all have a where, where does Keith come from? Uh, Saint Keith. I don't know. Saint, we Keith. Have to Google it. <laughs> Saint Keith. I love that. That's amazing. Is, are they all on your passport? No, yes. no. In Austria, you have to pay extra per middle name. So I was like, I'll just. Oh. <laughs> God, yours would be the most expensive <laughs> passport on the planet. <laughs> Yeah, so it's better to just stick with Ferdinand Habsburg Lothringen and then even for racing often I chop off the Lothringen because otherwise it gets insane. It's, it's three long names. So. But in the end, it's it's just, yeah, I just stick with Ferdinand. It's the easiest one. <laughs> That's fair dues. So now take us back right to the beginning, Ferdinand. Um, why racing? What? Where did it start? How did karting come into your life? Um, well, I'd say like at 11, it really kicked off, but at, at seven years old, I was, uh, already on the mission to find myself as everybody likes to say it. Uh, and, uh, I was, I was early on that path of like, what am I going to do? Um, I, I was so interested in music already. I wanted to be a, a rock star at the age of seven I was, or, or Michael Schumacher. Like I was running around with like, um, Keith Richards outfits and then Michael Schumacher outfits the next day. So I was very extroverted already at that point. And, um, I was going karting. My dad would take me to the car track. And, um, it was one of those things where I always explain, like at that age, you don't really know what you're doing. You just kind of follow what you like. I mean, like I was stuffing Nutella breads in my face whenever I could and eating as much candy as I could. And then I was like, I was going karting because that was cool. And, um, it just kind of went from there and, it grew. Then at 11, I was really getting into it in Vienna, where I, I was then going to school. And uh, my parents noticed that I was slacking at school. So they were like, you can either become a musician or a racing driver. You can't do both. Because I was spending all of my free time either by the guitar or or trying begging them to take me to the go-kart track and never for homework. And so I was very close to actually um, failing my year because I was not interested in school. And uh, they were like, okay, like I either you... You just focus on school. You can have one of your activities, but you can't have both because clearly you're not very good at managing your time, which hasn't been a skill I've grown into today <laughs> anyway. So uh, I had to learn it a little bit then already. And uh, I chose racing. Um, and I don't even remember why, really. I thought it, 
I was really bad at it. I think I was a better guitar player than I was a go-kart racer, but I, I was just enjoying it so much. And there are many multiple little moments where I'm like, mm. remember specifically that it's where I got hooked. And one of them was like, I was at, I would drove to the go-kart track and it was freezing cold and I was the only guy there. Um, and my parents had given me like a hundred euro notes uh, for the fuel. And I had my own go-kart, which I got for Christmas. And I like gave it to the guy at the, at the thing. And he was there only for me because nobody else was there. And I was like, when I run out of fuel, just fill me up again. And I went there, I drove like 30 laps, ran out of fuel, went in, they filled it up and I kept on going. And I didn't take a break for like a solid three hours until my hundred euros had run out. And I didn't stop smiling the whole time. And nobody was there except for me. And I was yeah. like somehow obsessed with it. And I didn't notice it back then that this was something strange. But now looking back, I'm like, that is super weird, but also was probably something that made my brain go like, I, I love this. And then it just kind of progressed from there. And I ended up becoming decent at karting and I won the Austrian champ championship, went to the grand finals and all that stuff. So it kind of just sort of piled up. I think when you gravitate towards any hobby or, or, or any interest where it starts as a kid, like it really shows that it's something that, you know, is really meaningful to you personally because did any of your family or, or friends like were any of them racers did they did they introduce you to it or did you discover it by yourself no i i my dad just took me once as a, like a father-son activity for fun mm -hmm. but none of them are racing drivers uh, i didn't know any racing drivers i i didn't actually know about formula one at that point i just thought that this was a cool father-son thing to do and uh it ended up becoming much more than that even even a career so did that's you, that's really cool. Did you um when you started to get good after practicing and practicing and practicing, did did you then start to notice Formula One and think that's where I want to be? Or or was there another path that you were thinking, or did that not really come into your your mind at that point? It was just about about the racing. It was zero about Formula One. I I, I always saw myself as a hobby guy. Like this is a hobby, like this is for fun. I never was like looking at Formula One thinking that I'm going to be there. I was like watching Formula One, but I was like, that's, I mean, that's miles away. Like, no, I'm, I'm just here because I enjoy it. And uh, yeah, maybe as the self-proclaimed that I got good is kind of harsh because I still think that I have so much to, to grow. But either way, um, I um, just followed like things that came my in my path and then like, for example, when I ended up switching from F3 to, to DTM, you know, leaving single seaters to, to, to tin tops, everybody was like, oh, my God, he's given up on his dream. Yeah. And I was like, well, I mean, it became more and more a dream in a way because everybody was talking about it. Everybody I was yeah. racing against wanted to go to F1. And something in me was like, that would be really cool. But it seemed to me like going to F1 was like so far away. And it was the thing that attached me to it was the fame, like, wow, I, I want to be as cool as those guys. Mm. But that never overweighed the thing that I loved most, which was racing. Mm. And this opportunity came to race in DTM through Gerhard Berger, who, who was really, really helpful. And, and just sort of this opportunity to actually become sort of a professional um, in, a, in a manufacturer and, and, and just going that path. And it was like, okay, so I can go and become a professional uh, in, 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 in tin tops and, and, and really live my my dream of racing and driving in circles, which is what I love. Uh, it might take away that sort of element, which then grows in your head. It's like, oh, I can become famous and a rock star and like a and uh, and a Formula One driver. But I really didn't care so much about it. I was like, I just want to go racing. Like that's mm -hmm. what I 
been dreaming about since I've been a kid. And uh, I just kept on following that. And it was funny, like everybody, every interview was like, don't you dream of going to F1? I'm like, well, no, I want to just race. Yeah. I do a lot of that now. So that's awesome. Do you think that's a, a, do you think that's a problem? Because I I think, you know, the expectations of of kids growing up and everyone wanting to get into those 20 seats in Formula One in the kind of same way is with like football. A lot of kids go to academies and and are sold the kind of dream of getting to Premier League, La League, wherever. and, And then so few make it. Do you think that, do you think that's a problem where, you know, you can still have a career in motorsport. It doesn't have to be Formula One. There's so many different disciplines all around, all the way around the world. Yet there is this kind of fixation on F1 being the target for all the young kids growing up, right? I mean, I don't think it's a problem. I think it's what makes a lot of these drivers great because in the end, you need to have some sort of impossible goal to try to improve yourself so extremely. And like without Formula One, we'd all be a lot more rubbish racing drivers, even myself. Like you, you like when I was racing against Lando, who was like, he's going to F1 when I was in F3 already. It was like, there was no question here. This guy's going to F1, the same as we all thought about Max Verstappen. Um, it was clear, you know, this guy is heading there and there's not very much in his way. But was that, is, that because, still, is, is that because he had such impressive financial backing or could you just see the talent and the drive that he had? I think it was everything was designed to make him go to F1, every, including the backing. Yeah. But that's, the, people yeah, get very fixed-minded on that. They don't see that this kid, since like the age of seven, has been like programmed to go to F1. You know, like he's literally like genetically designed for it, you know, like almost if I can go that far. And like from that moment, there was a manager called Mark Berryman from ADD who picked him up at karting and brought him to like the best karting teams with the best trainers. And the be- it's like, it, it was just Michael Jordan in the making, you know, like everything was to make him go there and nothing was going to stop him. Uh, not, not even me, Ferdinand, you know, and I was like, <laughs> I, I need to, I need to kick this guy's ass. You know, I want to, I want to beat this guy, but not like, so I can show everybody that I'm supposed to go to F1, but just cause I was like, I want to kick his ass and I want to beat him in that moment. And it was so helpful. Like I remember those test days in Snetterton and Knock Hill and Rockingham and we were just, doing hundreds of laps trying to kill each other uh, on the track. <laughs> and it made me so much better of a racing driver. So uh, this aspiration and this dream and this drive is super important. Coming back to your point, though, uh, this does still kill a lot of careers because, well, it, it has, it has it's two sides of the sword in the way that you mm. can get hooked to this idea. And it's also kind of a good like uh, bridge to my project, which we will talk about later. But uh, And one of the things that I would like to solve with it, with uh, Rebel Team, which we can talk about in a minute. But uh, th- there is two sides to it, for sure. Well, well t- tell us about that. So so this is this is your your business, right, that you've, you've set up, you've founded it. T- tell us a little bit about it. So uh, I founded a, 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 a basically a company called Rebel Team. Um, it's, it's, it has multiple um, goals, but in principle, the, the, the product that we sell is the opportunity for fans to, to not just w- come to the races to watch, but actually participate in the sport that they love. So um, through uh, really fancy um, technology that we are using, um, which I can explain later, uh, basically it's kind of like a membership uh, where uh, somebody that would like to, like I say, do more as a fan than just come to watch. They want to come and play. 
kind of digging into the kind of fans that maybe also play iRacing or Assetto Corsa or have a home sim or anything that they enjoy racing, kind of have a similar experience where they get to not only, yeah, go to the races, but they can even go there and see a racing car that they possibly participated in, the design of the car, the livery, chosen the drivers of that car, chosen the team, um, and, and multiple things that you normally only a few people in the world get to choose, like a team owner or a sponsor um, that go like, okay, I'm a sponsor, so and I'm from this country, that's why I want to drive it from there, or um, all of these kind of political topics that keep on you know, popping up and uh, might get fans frustrated because it's getting more political than just uh, performance-based. And to kind of try to break that narrative, I decided why don't we try to use what we have at hand, which is this sort of uh, future where communities are becoming more and more relevant. Communities are becoming more important. For example, your podcast has a community behind it. And uh, just the, the movement of social media is, is kind of going in that direction where communities are starting to grow in power um, and trying to really um, galvanize that uh, as, as best as possible where we can, okay, let's, let's use these communities, these large communities where you would only need a little bit from a lot of people to then go through some democratic system where we can all vote and choose what we really want in this world to happen. So, um, and I'm trying to create that bridge. So to sort of explain it in sort of technical terms, um, anybody that's heard the term blockchain. Are you, are you like going to talk about, is this fan tokens? It's in, in a way, yes. It's so, similar. Uh, we're created our own software within blockchain technology through yeah. NFTs. Now, I, I, I think NFTs obviously have a, a lot of mixed opinions on it. I've created a, a platform where you can hold the membership passes through this NFT software, yeah, yeah. but you can not, not need a wallet. You can do it through a credit card or however you fancy doing it. And there are 10,000 uh, of these tokens out there that you can buy. If you own one of them, you'll have access to our platform where you can participate in all of the voting structures, including choosing the drivers of an LMP2 car next year at Le Mans and the World Endurance Championship, create, creating deliveries of it, choosing what kind of suit designs they can have. You can participate in online racing events uh, where you can gain tickets to like uh, join the drivers at the weekend. You can become the social media manager of a certain race at a weekend in Bahrain or in Fuji or yeah. in um, Monza. You can have certain roles within the teams. So trying to make the fans that want to participate more in the sport mm. and take over all of the um, jobs that they might actually want as a community together through sort of a democratic system. So oh, yeah. uh, we've it, created this platform. It's a bloody and, yeah. good idea. It's, it, and I'm fully on board. So I, I'm slightly obsessed with crypto and I've had conversations with Jan Mardenborough about it because he's into his crypto and non-fungible tokens and all the rest of it. You should have a chat with him. He's, he, he, he's up to speed. He knows a lot about it. It's a great idea. And, and you, cl football clubs have done a similar thing. I think it was Juventus that did it. They invented their own currency um, fan token and you can buy into that currency and by buying into that currency you join their community and like you say you can you can affect things at the club so for example they allowed their fans to design the bus that they the players travel to the game in 
uh, just to give them yeah. that little bit of extra involvement in the sport that they love. So it's it's a very good there, idea. There's a, there's a lot to be said for like, yeah, it's especially in, I think they've started doing, like you say, in football, I think Inter Milan as well, they've yes. got like their Inter fan token on the yeah. thing. Yeah, I think there's a lot to be said of actually getting people, I think as the sport grows, not just F1, just motorsport in general, because the more F1 fans like, kind of funnel into motorsport, I think, yeah, there's a lot to be said. And there's so much talk of, you know, teams struggling for budgets. And I think there's a lot of people out there who really do want to be more involved. I mean, F1 Manager game's coming out soon as well. So you can basically do that, but in real life, yeah. which is pretty yes. sick. Yeah. I mean, the, the 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 beauty behind it for me is that I I, I, I do have a long-term goal. The, the things to achieve are, one, give fans the opportunity to run their own racing team in real life. And uh, LMP2 and Le Mans is iconic enough and budget-wise achievable. That's why I've chosen that. You can choose multiple drivers. You can have a real influence on at, at an iconic race and possibly even win because fans will hopefully choose the most best drivers, not just ones with that have budget. Um, and uh, so that that's really interesting. My, my, my goal is to able to help drivers that don't have budget to actually be able to go and do more bigger style racing. So it would be a really big goal for me in five years time to have a community big enough to fund an F3 driver, an F2 driver, and possibly even have an F1 seat that's voted for by the, our community, by Rebel Team community. Brilliant. So if we can grow that community, I'm just starting it small in LMP2 because I feel like we need to start somewhere. But in five years time, if we have a community growing large enough through this, and hopefully by then also blockchain has grown into sports big enough that we have enough power and we'll be the first team in motorsport to be run by blockchain community and social media and stuff like that. So um, hopefully we'll have some sort of, you know, unique selling point uh, on that on that side that we can really do something together. And that's also why I'm doing sort of podcasts to try to spread the message to people that are fans of racing, that this is something that's coming and uh, rebelteam.com has all the information on it as necessary. In September, we'll start selling our NFTs they'll be uh, at a price of about um, 300 euros. Um, so if you want to participate, that's a possum, That's basically one NFT. They're designed by a Japanese car designer. Um, they're like extremely going to be really cool art. So in case anybody's into that as well, uh, I've made sure that the artwork of it is generally hey, going to be... Sold, sold. I, I'm all over that. <clears throat> that's uh, reser Reserve me a NFT. I'll, I'll take one. And it's There'll got the utility. Piece, so we'll add you that, to it for sure. That's what I think is really important as well, because there's a lot of lot of NFT stuff that doesn't have utility, and it's just based off like hype. But this actually has you are getting something in return. So I think that's also like, yeah, I think there's an important distinction there to make as well, because yeah, like you said, the NFT space is quite controversial, and like there's a lot of stuff that goes on that. But this has value. It has, you know, there is actual utility. You're you're getting something back for your yeah. purchase. Yeah, and like, it's it's that. I don't want people to buy it to make profit. I want people to buy it because they are obsessed with the experience. Yeah. and I think that's what NFT should be. Absolutely, they've been used up for lots of different things, for money grabs and stuff like that. But I want people to realize that this can be a real, a token that has actually got value in the real world. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. also virtually, like the art and the virtual experiences that we'll be having you know, that sort of direct communication between driver and fans. So for example, we're using Discord during the races where um, when the driver gets out of the car after his stint, he'll go into Discord, be able to ask questions about a stint by the people that buy the token. So much more direct contact instead of some journalists asking, we'll have the community first yeah. to be able to interact with the driver 
get direct radio communication that they can listen in on the car um, stuff like that. So trying to get them a lot closer, even through virtual senses, but there's a lot to be, to, to be, to be said what we can do with this. And uh, I, I just hope that people get excited about it and we can make it's it. It's very cool. Very, very cool. And it's like you said, there has been controversy around NFTs and, and the, the general crypto world in terms of sustainability and climate change and, you know, the power that's required, but there are people trying to do, things to rectify that. There's a company called Algorand that sponsor Envision Racing and uh, they're creating sustainable platforms for NFT trading and, you know, cryptocurrency and so on. So it's it's a, an industry that's changing rapidly, but it's, it's, a, it's a bloody good idea. So best of luck with it. A very quick interruption to remind you to check out our sponsors, Motus One, the event transportation company. Motus One is the industry leader in complex transport management from hospitality, talent, production crews, VIPs, and artist transport. Motus One's team have got you covered. They've also launched their leading edge cloud-based event transportation management system called Motus Ride. Now you can manage your entire event transport program digitally. Make bookings, allocate rides, create approval processes, see reports, track costs, loads more. Head over to motus1.com and hear how they can support your event transportation needs. Back to the show. Let's um let's bring it back to racing. So let's let's head to 2015. Um Formula Renault 2.0. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Your season was cut short, and I, I googled this this incident yesterday and if anybody wants to see an absolutely ridiculous incident um have a look at i think you, there's a link through your your website actually but you basically decided to be a pilot for the afternoon and uh take off from the tarmac an absolutely insane crash to watch what what do you remember of that incident uh well i remember everybody stopping suddenly because uh, they they called the safety car um, and Jack Aitken was leading and he, uh, you know, threw the anchor around a blind corner, which um, I was in like position nine. So I was in exactly the wrong spot at the wrong time. And uh, it was disappointing because we were like uh, five cars from Fortec racing. And uh, I hit the back of um, Barnacote's wheel and Kodrick, who was behind me, hit the back of my wheel at the exact same time, which is why I took off. So our wheels touched it. I mean, it was like yeah. how, how this happened was like the chances of that is so low. But yeah, I took off. And uh, the thing that you remember is that your, your foot is on the brake, your left foot, not on the clutch. So it's on the, on the brake. And uh, when you do, do that, obviously the wheels stop because you're in the air. And so the engine stalls. And so all you hear is wind suddenly. And um, I was like, okay, that's weird. Why am I hearing wind? You know, normally it's an engine noise. 
And then it just went, boom. My eyes were shut for the first hit. But then I was like, this was taking forever. So I opened my eyes. And it was the exact moment where my car was in the air upside down. Oh, and I was looking up at asphalt. And I was like, oh. something's wrong. And so then I like kept on rolling. And then I, uh, I stopped. And then I was like, oh, no. My mom is here. She saw that. Oh. She probably thinks I'm dead. So I was like waving my hands to show that I'm okay. And I got out of the car, which you never should because of uh, possible injuries. And I was just trying to show my mom that I'm alive uh, so that she's not having a heart attack. And then after that, I, I passed out because, uh, yeah, I had too, a bit too much shock. And, uh, yeah, that was it. Man, that's, that's like, it's such a huge accident. I'm assuming that's, I mean, that's about as big as accidents get. Like, did that... What was it like the next time you got into a car after that? Did that kind of affect you in any way being like, I guess, that the reality of, of the potential danger of motorsport being really shown to you in that incident, you know? No, because it was, I've had other crashes, which hurt even more, I think. The thing that was about that is that I broke my back and that put me out for a while. And, but it wasn't that painful. It, it was just like a... Oh, now I have to miss a couple of races. So mm. that's it, you know, like in the end, I, I, Macau was much more difficult for me because um, I saw a motorcyclist fall and die the day before. And, you know, okay, he's riding a motorbike. I'm racing in a three car, but uh, that, that was, you know, like experiencing death at the age of, I don't know, 19 or something I was at or 18, mm. 19, it's like super unpleasant. Mm. And, and, and you don't really know what to do with that. So that was a lot more difficult to see someone else and their family suffer um by a, p a passion that they have and it was like wow am i doing this to my family that's that's not cool so i think nothing to do with my own health you're not scared like i'm sorry like when you're 17 18 you don't give a shit about this mm, like no. you go flat out <laughs> you whatever you do um mm. but you're i was concerned for my family you know like this is a bit unfair towards them maybe yeah it's um it, it can be a brutal sport and um that brutality continued at the macau grand prix one of the absolutely one of the best races on the planet um for those that don't know go and google it it's an amazing amazing race and you had a a, a difficult experience there you came so close to winning that race and that carries a lot of prestige you ended up crossing the line with three wheels instead of four how did that feel emotionally i don't want to drag it back into your brain but what were the emotions like going through your head when you're like bashing your helmet and bashing your steering wheel thinking there it was and there it goes? I don't know, man. It was like, you just, it's, it's indescribable because you don't know what to compare it to. Like you're just so your, your body just floods with whatever it floods with of, of this sort of emotion of, madness like you you're, you don't know what's you don't really know what happened like i didn't really know like i don't really remember what happened like i remember sort of watching myself but you're not conscious at this moment you're not your your uh your front was it called the front cortex part of your brain or i don't know whatever you call it but yeah. uh like that part of your brain is not on like you're not thinking at all you're just doing and the best way to describe it is like if you're in a video game and you're playing your uh, GTA uh, character and you're watching your character walk and do things and imagine doing that without even having the controller in your hand. You're just kind of watching. That's the sort of best, the closest that you can kind of say like, 
or, or, or being connected to a character from a Netflix show. You feel connected to it. You don't really know what's going to happen. So, and then suddenly you realize it is you and, and your, your body and you're suddenly there and you wake up and you're in the wall. And, and I don't know, it was, it was kind of a special moment because uh, I got out of the car in tears, not really knowing what happened. And, and I jumped over the wall and, and, and my dad was there. And funnily enough, uh, my current boss, Vincent Voss, so who then became my boss later, was the first person to hug me. And I didn't know who the hell he, this guy was. He was just some fat Belgian guy. Some bald fat Belgian guy. And he gave me a big hug. And uh, I, I, he's my, the, one of the best. He's the best boss I've ever had now. He's such a good guy, Vincent Voss. And then it was Trevor Carlin and my dad. And there was just so much pride. that You could feel that they were proud of me. And I mean, that's all you really desire as a young boy mm. is, is to feel your dad being proud of you. And that kind of took a lot of edge off of it. Then, of course, the disappointment later on of like not being on the podium, not receiving your trophy that you feel like you deserved. But then Lando was so cool. Like he finished second, I think. And he came and I was sort of like in tears in the garage. And he came with a big bottle of champagne and sprayed me off. And ah, uh, he was just really, really cool moments like that where... I don't know. Then later I was in the club and we were partying, getting drunk and I had to leave because I was again in tears like, oh man, what had just happened? But then later on, I was on the flight on my way back home and I had calmed down and I was, um, I was sitting there and all of my sort of heroes that I, I remember looking up to in DTM and stuff like that, they were racing in the GT3 race before. I don't know, people that I just really looked up to, Gianni Giacadea, Mauro Engel, like all these sort of factory drivers, uh, Marcello and all these guys. I knew who they were, but they don't, I never met them. And I was sitting on the plane and they were walking past me and every single one of them like tapped me on the shoulder and was like, that was epic, recognizing me. And it was just like, what is going on in my life? Like, I don't even deserve this in a way. <laughs> it was just a lot of like epic moments. And I, I remember it was, a, it was a, the Portuguese driver, Albuquerque, I think it was, who said to me, he was like, Ferdinand, because of this race, you will become a professional racing driver. But also because of it, you will not make it to F1. Oh. If you did one, you would be an F1. <laughs> but you didn't. So you will still, but you deserve to become a professional from that. So I was like, kind of a sting and burn, but still like the truth and kind of like, oh, it's okay, you know, that's the Ferdinand is that that's just me. And uh, I was very, very, I, it was a crazy week. But I guess it makes sense because all you drivers will have been through something similar at some time. There'll always be heartbreak and it makes sense that everyone kind of rallies around. And because I imagine it is, you know, as much as you are competing and you're all fighting against each other for these seats and for this kind of glory at the end of the day, like, you know, you're all just human beings. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I wish we would have more of those moments because we are divorced from our human nature often at the racetrack because. Mm. We are just a number. And, and someone recently explained to me really well what it's like to be a racing driver. And I never thought about it like this. Uh, I explained it to me from a rower, a professional rower. He was like, you go to a race and you want to win. Everybody goes there that they want to win. But you don't just have to win. You have to want to take everybody else's win away. Because that's what you're doing. You're not yeah. just winning. You're not allowing everybody else to win as well. Yeah. And you have to want to do that. Yeah. And I... And I'm like, that's so cutthroat. You can't, you can't be necessarily super seeing their humanity if you want to take what they want, what they want. Because human nature is to try to share what you yeah. want. Maybe it, that's you want to be kind and loving. And at least I want to see it that way. And I, when I'm home, that's 
who I desire to be. But you get there and that's completely different. Yeah. You need to want to take away what they want. And that's crazy. You have to be a bit nuts to want to That's a that. funny way of putting it because it, that really makes you think, doesn't it? Because you're, you're removing someone else's dream. You're potentially shattering someone else's career. But you can't all succeed. You can't no. all succeed, can you? No. And I, I, I now, when I'm in a race and I'm not completely convinced that we have a good chance of winning, I don't know if you guys know this or, or if this has, bears any meaning to you, but I'm quite a person who's quite in faith. I, 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 I'm somebody who's quite spiritual, let's say, in many ways. And uh, I'm often saying to God, like, maybe this is just a race where you need somebody else to win. Maybe you just need somebody else to win right now because clearly something's happened. Maybe I'm not driving my best. I'm not super focused or something happened in the pit lane or uh, it's not quite going super well. But I'm kind of quite understanding that sometimes I need to win. I need to feel like I need to win because I need that, I need that drive. But I understand that sometimes somebody else also needs to win. And luckily this year I've been winning a lot and been a lot on the podium. So I've been super blessed. Um, but I understand that Sometimes things are going on in people's lives and I know what that's like. Yeah. And you need to win sometimes, even yeah. if it's at home or at the racetrack, you need that win to give you that hope. And and I'm like, that that's super helpful as well to deal with loss in a way as a racing driver. So yeah, um, it's fascinating. Fascinating. Yeah. I mean, you, you've clearly got um, a, a, a different way, a different perspective on you to most drivers we've had on this podcast, to be honest. So it's, it's really interesting to hear you talk. Um, you know, we, we talked about some of the, the, the tough emotions that you've felt um, with your incidents, your incidents, your crashes um, and your disappointments. But um, you've also had tremendous success. Um, I'm going to skip over some wins at Spa, ALMS. I want to talk about the big one, the Mon 24, um, a race that people do aspire to as much as they aspire to get to Formula One. Um, Formula One drivers themselves will aspire to get to the top step of the podium in the Le Mans 24. You did it in the LMP2 category. That must have been an extremely special experience. I mean, yeah, especially because like clearly I cannot have some sort of special moment in my career without some sort of madness because anybody that watched it knows that, well, we led the race for like 17 hours. So we were like, this is good. And then three hours from the end of the race, our air jack failed. So we couldn't lift the car up anymore. But trying to do three hours on one set of tires is not really a, a feasible option, especially we had our two competitors on our ass cheeks. So uh, we had to do this sort of airbag system where you put two airbags under the car and you put an air jack in and then you blow it up. But it takes like mm -hmm. 30 seconds before you can do anything. And so we, we were doing it because to do both takes even longer. So we did the front axle first filled it up, changed the front tires, sent the car, came back in the next stint, put it on the rear, changed it. So like we were driving on half sets and, and, and which is allowed in our championship, but extremely unpleasant because imagine like driving a shop, shopping trolley. If you have new front tires and three cent old rear tires, it's <laughs> nasty. So, and we lost the lead and we were in second place on like really old tires because we couldn't afford to change again. Um, and, and yeah, we got to the last lap. I kind of... At this point, was like, okay, we're going to be second uh, because uh, the leaders were 40 seconds in the lead with no problems, and it was the last lap. So I, I had kind of, uh, you know, believed I was quite content with the race because I was really proud of what I had done in that race. I don't think I'd ever driven as well as I did in that race, and neither did my teammates. And of no fault of our own, had we lost this race, and I was like, you know what, I'm, I'm quite content. I and well, there was no throwing around of helmets. I was like, you know what, I'm freaking proud of myself. And then, boom, like two corners into the last lap, the leader had, an, had some sort of 
mechanical failure. And we took the lead of the race and it was the most intense three minutes of my life because we had three minutes of a lap ahead of us with the second place now chasing us down. Also on really old tires, but we nearly then killed the, 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 the checkered flag guy because we had to overtake a bunch of cars. Man, that was so yeah. sketchy at the end. It was so sketchy, but we did it. And uh, man, it was like, again, like minutes of just ecstasy in your body where your body's like going <laughs> crazy with all the chemicals and just screaming like it's it's in total insanity and then the podium and everybody's just completely like what the fuck just happened and uh it's just one of the sickest moments and i'm so happy uh, like that we have i made a we made a i had my friend film it all yeah so if, if you go to like my youtube channel you can click on like lemon 21 and uh it's like if you just if you don't want to watch the whole video that's fine you go to the end and you just see everybody going like oh my god <laughs> like uh we won and that's there's not really words to explain it but yeah maybe my face you know that that was such a like iconic finish to that race but what, what i wanted to ask actually about Le Mans is is you know in motorsport you spend you know the vast majority of your career operating it's you it, it's all it's all focused around you driving in your car and your results in the same way in athletics if you're a 100 meter sprinter or if in golf you, you play, but then you've got stuff like the Ryder Cup when it's a team. You've got like the four by one hundred meter relay. So being in a Le Mans team, was that the first time you'd raced in that kind of team environment? And how was that sensation afterwards compared to when it's not just about you? It's about a team. That's so kind of different to, to like when you're coming up through the ranks, right? Yeah. So I mean, I'd obviously done Asian Le Mans series and then the first half of the World Endurance Championship. And I've done uh, Daytona 24 a couple of times um, before that. And uh, yeah, so I think the thing that was cool was that I really found my strength. I, I think that I'm a, I'm a pretty decent racing driver, but one of my best strengths is to actually get the most out of people. So even in DTM and in F3, I would say I always had the best mechanics and the best engineers because I was just able to get people to, even if they were not the best, they were the best at the end of the year because they see that I'm, I'm not here just for myself. I want everybody to be the best that they can. Like, I think that's, that's the coolest thing about being in a sport is that even in the hundred meter sprint, you need that team behind you to get you in the right shape of mind. And uh, when somebody was not having the right kind of energy, I made sure that we had to change something about that. So I was always very conscious of the fact that it's a team effort, but then racing in the World Endurance Championship, suddenly it becomes so much more evident. And I was like, oh, this is so cool because my teammates were the most random people. I don't know if you've ever met Robin Frines yes. or Charmelie, but they are super weird. And yeah. it's okay, I can say it. They will think it's okay. <laughs> Robin Frines is, is weird. He's like, he's, he's real. So I've, I worked a little bit with him because I, I do some work in Formula E and I've, I've done some um, filming with him and various other bits. He's like this sort of, he's very zen. He's like chilled, mellow, very sort of almost spaced out kind of character, but obviously very, very quick in a race car. So something switches on. But he's yeah. a very funny bloke in a good way. I don't mean like funny, weird. I mean, he is weird, but he he's old. a funny guy. Um, <laughs> But yeah, an interesting character, but a quality racing driver. Yeah, so I think that I was lucky to find something that I'm really good at, which is combining my ability to drive fast with galvanizing people. Like, I don't think that my team this year is very strong as a lineup. You know, I, don't, I think there's a much stronger lineups out there. 
but we're kicking ass. Like, I think we're definitely punching above our weight this year in so many ways. And, and I, I feel quite proud to say that I've, you know, we've moved ourselves up the grid um, in so many good ways. And I'm, I'm, I'm happy that it's that four, four by, you know, that relay layout suits my personality well, just because I'm, I'm, quite, I'm a chatty guy. I, I need to talk. I need to get out there. But I also enjoy finding out where people's strengths and weaknesses lie and just kind of trying to dissect it and, and, and really maximize it. And when it was all just down to me and that sort of hyper egocentric style, um, that was really cool in many ways. But I wouldn't say really dug into my biggest strengths. My biggest yeah. strengths, I think, are teamwork and, and getting together. And I, I think that's also one of the reasons why I started Rebel Team, because the bigger the team, the better for me. I, I love galvanizing people's energies and strengths. And, and I think doing that through the community in racing, uh, that, that hopefully will come to, 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 to harvest that, 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 that sort of positive and epic energy of like, we want to make motorsport something special and inclusive and, 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 and unique again. And uh, yeah, I think that all of that is kind of going in the direction that I really have been looking for in the sort of complete madness of a world of that I've found myself yeah. in in motorsport. And I think you guys know what I'm talking about is that we are living in the most, well, I mean, it's a stupid, crazy world. We're racing in circles in the end of the day and <laughs> finding meaning in racing in circles is something super weird. And I love to think about it all the time. You know, what are we doing here? But uh, it's, it's exactly <laughs> that. If I yeah. find meaning in that is something special and we are, need to zoom out sometimes and zoom in and, uh, enjoy enjoy the sort of uh, luck of, uh, of the role of the dice that we are in. I mean, brilliantly put. Um, we, we're going to have to do a uh, a round two of a podcast with you because I feel 100%. like there's still so much more that we need to talk about. We are running out of time though, so I'm going to skip ahead to our final three questions, which we ask all of our guests. And these week, the, this week they're brought to us by our sponsors at Motus One. Um, Tomo, do you want to kick off with the first one this week? Why not? Um, Ferdinand, what's got you most excited at the moment? Not necessarily just in racing, just anywhere in life. What's got you most excited? Um, That's such a good question. Uh, What's got me most excited? I think, uh, wow, so many things. The power of letting go. has been something that's been super cool for me. That means, you know, having faith and, and trusting is the been the biggest source of happiness and joy in my life over the past couple of months. Um, being able to, uh, uh, like to anybody that's had some sort of spiritual experience in, in a Christian sense, which is the only one that I can speak of is just fully trusting in, in the love of the universe and, and God is like the most epic thing that I've ever experienced. It will even trump uh, Macau and, and Silverstone and, and all of Le Mans and everything, just being able to uh, fully and epically be super hyper authentic to whatever you want to go and do. And knowing that whatever you're going to go and do is just exactly the right thing and exactly not the right thing. And um, knowing that all the time gives you so much freedom in your mind and soul, um, knowing that you are loved on the highest level all the time, even if you don't know it, is so epic to truly fall into that and believe it. In the beginning, you have to kind of fake it till you make it because it's a stupid thing to think that you are loved all the time. But I know it now. And I think that that is something that is missing in the world. And I feel blessed to have experienced that uh, in a really high level. And that's got me freaking excited because knowing that you are loved all the time 
it's the most freeing experience in the world. And I think people have that when they find a partner or whatever, or find a job that they love and they find freedom in that. I've fortunately found it through God. And there's so many different ways to find it. It can be finding it through nature or whatever you want to do. But uh, it's been, I've been, been blessed in that sense. And I don't mean to sound like Lewis Hamilton too much when he's always like, <laughs> blessed, blessed. But uh, yeah, the, I think that's what's gotten me most excited. It's a very, very good answer. Now, th- this next question, I think, was made for you. Uh, what does success mean to you? You guys are trying to trick me here. This is, this is crazy. I'm going to, the answers are going to go crazy. I think success is when you are actually feeling free in what you're doing, probably. Uh, you will find success in the moment that you feel free in what you're doing. Because I think like before you feel success, you feel trapped by your responsibilities all the time. Like I feel pretty trapped a lot of the time in my responsibilities and trying to make Rebel Team work in my career, in my relationships, in my, with my family. And I think I probably have succeeded with those things the moment that I feel free that uh, things will happen the way that they're supposed to. So I think that success is probably related in some way to freedom. So when you find freedom in your heart and your spirit and your day to day, that's probably when you'll find most success because that's, it can be so arbitrary. Like it can be so tangible or intangible success. It can be money. It can be uh, a car or a house, uh, which is super cool. Like I love those things. I love having a nice car and I love having a good job and, uh, and a good looking girlfriend and all that stuff, you know, a hundred percent or like, you know, winning races, but also intangible things like, I spent the last couple of days with my grandma and she's 90 and she's just so freaking cool. I look up to her and she's just like the coolest old woman ever. I just have the stupidest conversations with her. And like, I feel super free with that. So that's huge success as well. So uh, I think probably something to do with freedom. Um, that's where the success lies. I like that. I like that a lot. And last question. And I'm actually really interested to hear your response to this one because what are you afraid of? Or what are you scared of? I'm afraid of being there? scared. I don't want to be scared. <laughs> I hate being I like scared that. and I, I like get that. scared all the time. And so like one of my biggest wishes is to lose fear because I get scared all the time. I recently went um, uh, uh, like being, I was, I went, uh, what do you call that? When you jump off a cliff into the water. Well, a, a bungee and, jump. Oh. Into water, like is you it, jump into like, like tombstone or oh. something. When you just jump off a cliff, yeah, into, yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. Like I'm like, like Wim Hof style. You seen him? The guy, no, 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 not that I love Wim Hof style. I love Wim Hof, but uh, like when, <laughs> when you're just like climbing up cliffs and then you jump into water, oh, canyoning, yeah. Yeah, yeah. canyoning, yeah, yeah, canyoning. And I'm like super scared of heights, to be honest. And like, uh, and, and I've never done a backflip or anything like that. It's too scary, and I am so scared of that stuff. I don't know why. And I was like, I hate the fact that I'm scared of this nonsense. Like everybody's doing it. Like these twelve-year-old boys are doing it. That I'm like <laughs> taking care of, and I'm supposed to be some sort of role model of breaking through fear. And I, <laughs> and I was like, everybody has done a backflip, and I was like, okay, I'm gonna do it. Like I announced it, but I've never done it before, and it's like my biggest fear. I don't know why. And because I announced it, I had to do it. Of course, yeah, like, yeah. like the sort of middle cliff. And I had one of the guys that was a professional explain to me what I have to do. And I freaking did it. Like I have video proof. And I feel like my heart just like exploded. I just screamed <laughs> when I came out of there like, yes! I was so proud of myself. So uh, I'm scared of being scared because it like, you know what I love this? I love this quote. Um, God put the best things in life on the other side of fear. And um, so just, just uh, letting go of, uh, yeah, I'm scared of being scared. Wow. I mean, 
Ferdinand, what three of the best answers we've had for those three questions? Easily, yeah, fantastic. Um, I, I think. Um, well, first of all, thanks for taking the time out of your day to join us. I think um, people can clearly learn a lot from you. You've got a very open mind, which is incredibly refreshing. Um, the business sounds amazing. So best of luck with that. Best of luck with World Endurance Championship and all the other things you get involved with. We're definitely going to have to go for round two. But for now, Ferdinand, thanks for joining us on the Motormouth Podcast. Thanks so much, guys. I had a great time. And thanks for uh, everything. Thanks, everyone, for listening to the podcast. Before you leave us, one final reminder to check out the guys and girls at Motors One, your new transportation solution for minor, mega, and signature events anywhere in the world. Motors One simplifies the complex process of event transportation and provides clients with unrivaled service and support to ensure your event transportation needs are fulfilled. Check them out today at motorsone.com. And if you tell them you found them through the Motormouth podcast, you'll get up to 20% off your first booking. Thank you so much for listening to the Motormouth podcast. Do make sure you give us a follow on our socials, Twitter at Motormouth underscore, Instagram at Motormouth underscore official, and Facebook, just search Motormouth. You can also download the Motormouth app where you can get exclusive video content from MMTV, create your own social profile to interact with other fans, and check up on all the latest happenings with whatever motorsport takes your fancy. We're also proud to be supporting the Brain Tumor Charity too, so make sure you check the links in the podcast description to find out how you can help cure brain tumors quicker don't forget to like subscribe and review and until next time you've been listening to the motormouth podcast Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 